And New York real estate is so cutthroat. Like you yeah. have to be ready, to move, like at it, like drop of a dime. If they mm -hmm. say this place is open. Gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Raj Nation Innovations Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, aka the Raj Nation. I am your show's host, the founder of Raj Nation Innovation, as well as a hip hop artist and a yoga instructor. Above all else, I am a storyteller. And I am joined by my co host, Victoria Cohen. Victoria is the voice behind the blog almondsandasana.com. She is a fellow yogi and a community activist focused on helping you make lifestyle choices that positively impact you and the people you serve. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help creative thinkers like you and I better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. Is real talk with real people doing real big things to uncover the real side of success. Now, before we dive into today's conversation, I would like to extend an invitation if you are not a member already. Join our tribe by going to discoveryourinnerawesome.com. Enter your email address there, and you will never miss another episode of the show, getting a notification in your inbox every single Monday when we launch a new episode. You'll also get my stories, advice, and tips throughout the month on how you as a startup can make your pitch a performance. All right, let's dive in now to our conversation on today's episode of Discover Your Inner Awesome. Welcome, everybody, to Discover Your Inner Awesome. Today on the show, we have Alex Batdorf. Alex is the former CMO and co-founder of ZipFit Denim. She's now an entrepreneur coach and public speaker. Alex also has the benefit of having the name that I feel is like Batman's cousin, like Batdorf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alex, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So our topic today, you know, when we talked a couple of weeks ago about what we want to do for this episode, um, what you came up with was how do you balance purpose and profit? So can you let us know why this is on your mind, why this is important to you? Yeah, for sure. Um, so... In 2017, I, I always tell people when they ask, like, how did you leave your company? Like, you know, because when you start a company, it becomes your baby and that attachment is real. <laughs> um, but I always tell people 2017 Mondays started feeling like Mondays and it took me a few months to really understand what that was. Um, and over a, a you know, few conversations with mentors, friends, etc. I noticed that my purpose and the pursuit of profit for our company as we were scaling and growing was so out of whack and out of sync. Um, and so how that ended up, how I ended up discovering that was I lost touch with what my true purpose is um, from when we started the company and who I am as an individual. So I truthfully believe that I was put on this earth to empower people. And so when we started the company and even in my first company in college, everything that I did and the end result 
had something to do with empowering people. And as we were pursuing profit as a company, and a lot of a lot of startups have this, you you scale and you grow and you have to pursue profit because that's how you grow um, as a company and that's how you become more of a household name. However, we were becoming siloed as founders, and this is a conversation that's very important for co-founders and um, founders in general need to have with their team is what is it that you want to be doing? What What's very important to you that you want to hold on to? And we had had those conversations early on, but I think that I should have checked in with myself more as we were pursuing profit. So I kept running and running towards profit um, without really an end in sight. And it felt very, it felt unfulfilling to me. And so that's why I say Mondays felt like Monday. So the purpose and pursuit of profit is such an important piece for me because when I looked at when we started the company and even in my, my first company, when I felt the most fulfilled, it was when I was empowering people and I was excited when we were pursuing profit when I was in touch with that purpose. So that's why I find it very important. That's something that even when I coach entrepreneurs now, that's the first thing I lead with. Like we have to start with your vision, with your purpose before we even before we even get into the nitty gritty of how you're going to take action, because without that, you feel aimless as an entrepreneur. Okay, so you get to this point with the company where you feel like Mondays are like Mondays, but obviously that wasn't always the case, right? For a long time, mm -hmm. Mondays didn't feel like Mondays. Every day was exciting. But even before that, uh, let's, let's bring it back even before the zip fit denim journey and even before entrepreneurship for that matter. Mm -hmm. What was Alex Batdorf like in high school? Oh my God. Um, super overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> I was constantly doing stuff like, you know, even, even before high school, I, I was very fortunate to have uh, a single mom who believed in me and wanted me to shine in the way that I wanted to shine, not the way she wanted me to. So when I had an idea for, I want to do tap today, or I want to do basketball, or I want to do soccer. My mom literally put me in everything that I wanted to do. Um, and it was just a way for me to experience and really fill out who I was and what made me happy. So I find it really interesting when people say, I knew exactly when I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And it's like, they go back to those stories of when they were a kid, like I started a lemonade stand and I did this and I did that. And I didn't really have that. I just knew that I was always testing things out and trying to build things. And then when I felt like it was boring for me, I kind of was like, mm, I'm not really learning from this, let's do the next thing. Um, and then when I got into high school and college, that's when I really was able to couple my sense of curiosity and wanting to learn and acquire knowledge with, oh, I can apply this and create something from my thoughts. That was very intriguing for me. So that's really was sparked, I think, when I got to University of Chicago because it is a breeding ground for, you know, intelligent conversations and curiosity. Um, I'm so grateful I've gone there because you can really explore different facets of your mind. And so I was able to make what I was thinking more actionable, like, oh, I have this idea, all these ideas for all these things. I can actually couple that with my curiosity. Um, so that's kind of a sense of like who I was early on. I was always trying to master things master them. And then when I got to college, it was, oh, I can create shit with, you know, my, you know, mastering this type of thing over here or knowing this thing, a little bit of this and a little bit of that over there. 
So you sound a lot like Victoria, <laughs> super <laughs> overachiever, trying to master everything. <laughs> um, okay, so so you you waltz your way into University of Chicago in tap dance shoes, dribbling or bouncing a soccer ball and shooting it into a basketball hoop. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> now you come out of University of Chicago. So you're, you're studying sociology there, right? Mm-hmm. And coming out of college, how are you different than when you entered college, or maybe you're not different at all? When I, when I exited, yeah. Oh man, I would say what was different was I had a very keen sense of hunger. And not saying I wasn't hung, hungry before. I think that I just was very much so more focused and understood what I could do with that and understood how powerful that was. So when I came into University of Chicago, I was just like, welcome world. I'm here. I'm going to kick ass. But it was still very much so experimentation um, and understanding what I could do with it. But when I exited University of Chicago and I mean, we have very, very um, real stereotypes. Like, it is a very hard-ass school. Like, it, it, they always have things like, you know, where fun comes to die, even though I had a blast at University <laughs> of Chicago. But um, I had a, a, so much fun. But um, it's a very academically rigorous school. Like, we have grade deflation. I think our average GPA is like 2.7. Wow. Like, and it's a great school, but it's the teachers really push you and they create an environment where it's like, no, you need to work to really be a part of this world and actually provide value. So um, when I exited, it was understanding the knowledge that I had acquired, what I could do with it. And I always tell people like that was where I got my first like warrior wounds was going through UFC because it kicked your ass. Like everybody's ass got kicked. And so when we went into ZipFit and started the company, I felt like I was very much so prepared, even though, I mean, we came, we encountered a lot of shit um, that we weren't prepared for, but because I had been challenged so much in my academic career that it was like, you know what, I have been faced with challenges before I got this. That's interesting that you bring that up because when you know, when I, it's, and also it's funny that you keep saying when you exited college, like spoken like a true entrepreneur, like not when you graduated, <laughs> but when you exited college. <laughs> um, when you had used up all your scholarship money. So all of the scholarship money. <laughs> when, when I, um, when I entered college and when I graduated college, I think I was myself, but almost like on steroids by the point I graduated because kind of in that same fashion that you said, like I started to see like, wait, what can you actually do if you really apply yourself? Like I took some, a couple like really like rigorous courses that showed me the first time, like academically, what does it mean to like really work for something? Not like in the sense of in the high school, like I wasn't great at chemistry and didn't get a good grade in it. And it was just like, ah, okay. Like I just don't really like my mind just can't wrap my head entirely around chemistry and I don't feel like applying myself. This was like, no, it's already a subject you enjoy, which in this case was marketing for me. But Mm -hmm. in this honors track, it was, oh, you think you can just get away with just like doing this crappy project and us thinking, oh, good on you, right? It's like, no, let's take something you enjoy and make you like, and try to make you hate it and see if you still enjoy it at the end. Uh, Yeah. You know, and to me, that was like the, now I know like what it means to really bust your ass for something. Yeah. Do you feel like, because this is something I felt, but do you feel like when you, you came into college, you were probably like, you know, 
achiever in high school, you know, did, you know, did really well or whatever the story is. But then I feel like sometimes in, in high school, it was, there was challenging moments for sure, but college is a different beast because you're not being, your hand's not being held anymore. So I felt like when I got to college, it was like, oh, I was the cream of the crop. I got this. And then I got there and I'm like, oh shit, I got to like, this is on next level. Do you guys feel like you went yeah. through that? Yeah. Um, no. So it's really, it's funny because I'm just listening to all these things. So I, a little bit different, but like kind of similar. I definitely agree with the like, I went into college and exited um, as like myself, <laughs> but even more so because I, so I studied um, uh, engineering in college and um, I studied like system, uh, like systems, information, um, operations, research, that kind of engineering. And so for me, I like, I chose the major because I literally felt like it was my personality in a major. It was like, how can mm -hmm. I just like organize things and optimize them and like plan them out perfectly and like get all these pieces to fit together and like come up with a schedule for something, you know, like how do I plan <laughs> yeah. to produce the right amount of product in the right amount of time? So that to me, so yes. So I totally felt like I picked something that I was like already like the way that my mind worked. And then I just went like a deeper down that path, um, mm -hmm. which is I, I like looking back, I feel like that was, it was good because, you know, I just, I, like, I enjoyed it. I, like, actually really did enjoy it. But it was also, it was challenging, but in a way that, like, my brain was, you know, geared towards. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, just the way that all of my, like, credits and stuff had worked out when I came in, I, I ended up taking literally, like, two electives all of college. Like, I literally only took my major's worth of classes, and then I ended up graduating early and doing a master. So like everything was just in that genre. I took mm -hmm. one marketing class in college, like one <laughs> anthropology class, <laughs> one sociology class. And so I don't like, that's one thing that I do wish I'd gotten. And I loved those other classes. Like that little bit that I got to see of <laughs> other worlds, I thought was like so interesting, but like, I just didn't, like, I didn't need them. So like, I wasn't going to go just like take all these extra classes. So that's one thing I wish I'd gotten out of it. Like that I think would have probably helped me you know, quote unquote, in the real world, as I've like progress, as I've now left the world of engineering that I went into for five years out of out of college, um, you know, in a sort of big corporate setting and supply chain. Now that I've left that and I'm kind of like doing something else, I wish that I had done a little bit more of other other stuff in college. Um, but yeah, but sort of back to that point of um, of college being a bit of like a, a wake up call. I had a similar experience. I remember calling my dad the first time I got like a C or something on a, oh, a test yeah. and I was like crying and crying. <laughs> and he was like, I mean, it's just so not a big deal. Like yeah. you're going to look back <laughs> on this and like, I mean, now I don't even remember what my GPA in college was, to be honest. Like, I don't it even was know. Great. What it was fine. Was. Like, you know, whatever. Yeah. I think you. Oh, it. that is. But I think that's so oh. important. Like <laughs> the, the idea of going in and even though you didn't take as many electives that at least you did something you like, because the amount of times I have talked all over the nation and I have, especially my, my favorite places to speak are with students, whether it's like younger up until college, because people are still trying to figure it out. And the amount of people that go into college doing something that either their parents want them to do, like forcefully want them to do or that they think their parents want to do and you just go through four years where it's supposed to be four years of you really exploring and getting to know yourself and I tell people they're like well what do you think I should major and I'm like well what do you think you should major in <laughs> I'm like this is the time for you to really embrace like yeah mom and dad want you to do this but this isn't mom and dad's life anymore so yeah. it's what do you want to do and honestly like unless you're going to be a doctor 
what you major in, no one fucking cares. Like <laughs> people are just like, people ask me all the time, they're like, you are a sociology major? Like, how did you go into business? And I'm like, I studied something I love. I, I love to understand people. I love to empower people. And so understanding how people function, and there's so many things that fall under sociology, whether it's psychology or um, political science, et cetera, I was able to dabble on those in all of those. And it helped me to just understand how do I deal with people in different settings? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was something I was truly interested in. I didn't know that it was going to translate later on, but I feel like whatever you love and learn to like love to learn, it always ends up translating in your life. Yeah. All right. So you graduate university of Chicago, you got your cap and gown and diploma in hand. You walk out onto that Hyde Park campus in your gown and you're like, what up world? I have this sociology degree in hand. Now what do I do? So, so what happens then? Yeah. So I had, you know, exited college. I just realized <laughs> I'm saying that. Uh, <laughs> wow. I just realized like that's actually something I'm using. Um, so I had pre- like a few months prior, my, my first company in college that my, my good friend and roommate at the time we were trying to build that one failed. And so I had the entrepreneurial bug and I knew I wanted to build something else within fashion tech. I just didn't know what yet. And so at that time I ended up getting a paid internship at a CPG company doing branding um, and was there for a few months. And my mentor who later became an investor in ZipFit, he had met one of my co-founders. She went to um, Booth, which is University of Chicago's business school. And she had pitched the idea for ZipFit. And afterwards, because he was one of the judges there, he went up to her and he was like, hey, this is awesome. Like, what do you feel like you need now? She's like, well, I want to make this into a a company, but I need partners. And he was like, I have the girl for you. So she and I ended up meeting. I'll never forget. We went to, I think it's like Northside or something like that in Wicker Park. Um, And I remember sitting down and just hearing what she was doing. And it was very, there were so many parallels to my first company and really just innovating within retail where you're making it you're ma- simplifying it and making it joyful for the consumer like shopping online and using technology leveraging the technology aspect of it so i just remember feeling giddy when i was sitting hearing her what she was trying to do and like trying to like keep my poker face on like you know so um we sat and we talked and then later i was like yeah i'm, I'm i you know want to join this and so well, fast forward, became co-founders with our other um, co-founder who was our CTO and ZipFit. We started building ZipFit. And what makes you like really care enough to get involved with a company? Care, care really about fashion, right? Like uh, you've talked about empowering people. Maybe that's, maybe that's how you saw it. But even with that, it's like there are a million ways to empower people. Mm-hmm. What, what in your mind is like, yeah, jeans. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't the jeans because truthfully, like none of us really knew shit that much about jeans. <laughs> we just knew we hated shopping for it. At that point, I was mostly wearing leggings. Um, what was what was important to me, what I what I heard and what I listen for when I get excited about a company, that's even, you know, companies that I coach and consult today. Um, for me to really be invested, I listen for how are you empowering people? So what I heard, it wasn't just, oh, there's this cool, unique technology. Because at the end of the day, like technology can be duplicated. Like, you know, these ideas can be duplicated, but it's what experience you can actually provide for people. That's the most important thing to me. So what I heard was that we're not going to approach this as a fashion company. We're approaching this as a fit company. And let's dig deeper into that. What does fit mean? And 
even when I resigned from the company, I posted um, and made my resignation letter public. I explained what fit meant to me and what I saw over the years and how it transformed our customers. It was that moment when someone opened the dressing room and you can hear it sliding back and they step out and they have this look of peace or joy or something on their face because fit wasn't just let's get into something that fit. It was this makes me feel good. This thing, like even if I had the shittiest day, this one thing just made me feel good about myself because how often do you go and shop for things and you're trying to fit into something? And that's even just in your life in general. Like we're always trying to fit in. Like from when you were a kid to even as you're an adult, you until you actually figure out, I don't need to fucking fit. I'm just going to go figure <laughs> shit out for myself. But you're always trying to fit into things, you know, fit in your schedule, fit this in. And that moment for us being able to use our technology to help and create something where it fits them, it, even if it was a little moment of joy, that was the empowerment piece. It was like, even if everything else in your day didn't go right and you felt like you had to sacrifice and do all these things, we created one moment that was just for you. Hmm. That was the empowerment piece for me. So, so you guys got together. The idea sounded super cool. You were excited. Um, so it was, it was just the two of you to start? No. So we have our, our co-founder, um, Seth, um, as well. And then we, we had a couple other people on the, on the team early on, um, ended up parting ways, but yeah, the, the, the three amigos, um, stuck around and built the company. And so <laughs> was the idea to create like an online business, like an actual brick and mortar shop? What was kind of, what was sort of like the first, uh, like the first round of what you kind of envisioned? Yeah. So essentially we always planned on being e-commerce because that's where the market was heading, even mm -hmm. though, I mean, 90% of, you know, retailer purchase, uh, purchases still happen in brick and mortar. However, the companies that are really going to thrive and make an imprint today are the ones that can figure out online. And the biggest problem online is fit. So mm -hmm. we were like, if we can tackle fit, like we can really, you know, we can really, you know, shake things up. So we always plan on being um, e-commerce. However, we utilized our brick and mortar stores. We had pop-up shops. So we had one on Michigan Avenue and we tested a few other, a couple other neighborhoods. Um, and for us, it was a, it was like a research lab because when you start natively online, it is very expensive because you have to build awareness. You have to acquire the customers and digital advertising is not cheap. You are competing with a lot of people and when you're able to do it in person, I think that's why brick and mortar is still very important, is you're able to connect on a human level with someone and they can understand what you're trying to accomplish where a, a computer can't do that. It's not mm -hmm. human. Um, and so we just noticed that not only were we able to explain what we were trying to do, which was very new and have that conversation. It's very hard to do that online initially without spending you know, a good chunk of money. But we were also able to understand who our actual customers and what their needs were so we could iterate. So we used that for like a year as a research lab. For example, when we came in, we thought that our target consumer was going to be millennial men because we started with men's denim. Um, slowly but surely, not even slowly, I think after the first month, we realized that our sweet spot was actually 35 and up males, you know, and our value propositions are you know, one, we help you save time by finding your fit fast. We personalize it and we customize the experience. 
And that was very valuable to our what ended up being our core demographic because one, they didn't have a lot of time to shop. They, they were usually pretty busy, senior level executive, you know, males, affluent professionals. Um, two, they like personalization. They were at a point in their life where they're like, no, I'm paying for it. I want a good experience. And three, the customization piece was important because they've had things tailored before and they understood the value in having something tailored to fit them properly. Um, whereas with millennial males, you know, they were still, you know, their bodies were still in a place where they can kind of still shop off the rack. They didn't really care as much. Um, we noticed we attracted more millennial males towards the end of the spectrum. Um, so yeah. Well, if we take it back then to like essentially day one, right? So like, you know, the Airbnb story is, hey, we, there was this conference that was in town. We had an air mattress and a couch. There wasn't any hotel rooms left for people who were in town. So we just said, you know, come stay at our place. And we charged them money and made them breakfast. Now, what is iteration one of Zip Fit Denim? Did you like have people come to your apartment and fit them for jeans? What was the, what was the, what was the, the minimum viable product here? So I came in a few months after. So the first, first, like beginning, beginning and iterations were from my co-founder, Liz, who came up with the idea. So she went around and, you know, her story is that she was carpooling back and forth from Indianapolis to Chicago for business school. And, you know, you have a lot of time to talk to your classmates and majority of them were men. So figured out how much they hated shopping and she was a math major. Um, and realized, oh, I could, I could try to solve this using math and data. So, um, her first iterations were going into stores, measuring different pants and jeans, and then, um, measuring, having the guys try it on. So seeing it on different potty types, which were the first iterations of what are now our algorithms built out in Excel. And so when I came in, it was the portion of, okay, how do we take this and bring it to market? So I was our CMO and that's what my main thing was is how do we create that experience and iterate um, on upon that. So it's taking what she had already done and bringing it to market within our stores, creating that experience, that customer service, the selling part of it. So the next iteration was having our pop-up store on Michigan Avenue and just seeing how people interacted with our technology and the concept and figuring out, okay, what messaging do we need to leverage from what we're hearing. So we really try to allow the consumer to tell us their experience. So without us interjecting um, what they were feeling. So for example, when they came in, we were kind of the Apple store for jeans. It kind of looked like that. So when you came in, it was all glass windows um, and there was jeans on the wall. We don't have a lot of inventory. We only have samples. So when they first walked in, it had signs pointing down to tables like the Apple store with iPads on them. And it says, start here. So people came in and we would meet them and greet them. And we would just simply ask them, do you want to drive or do you want me to drive? And that question alone helped us to understand who were the people that were very comfortable with technology and the early adopters versus people that needed a little more handholding. I would say 80% wanted us to drive. Um, versus the 20% the that I was like, no, I'm comfortable testing this out. Um, and that helped us to really understand the market. Like, you know, even though people are cool with technology, they still kind of are not there yet. Um, so we were under, we understood that and that helped us to understand what we needed our website and e-commerce to look like that you can't just throw up some technology there. It has to, it has to be a user experience that a lot of people can understand. 
Um, so the the stores were really a great way, and when when I really came in, was a great way for us to make um, very intentional decisions about the experience we were going to have online based on all of the information over a year that we gathered from our customer in the stores. Okay, so you got the physical store. I'm going to yep. imagine, you know, having a, at this point, you're probably what a couple years out of college. No, I was actually a couple months out couple of college. A couple months out of college. Okay. A couple months out of college. Uh, most students graduate college pretty broke. So I will, I'm, I, you guys <laughs> ended up raising some money here, right? And that may, yep. I, I think that would be to open up that store. So yep. what was that capital raise process like? Especially, like? especially considering you have two female founders, one of which you is a woman fresh founder of, of color <laughs> and, you're, yeah, and you're fresh out of college. <laughs> yeah. Um, th those early stages, it was uh, friends and family, and we're very fortunate. Um, the one thing that I will say about business school, and a lot of people will say this, is that you're really paying for the network. Um, so we were very fortunate, even with the undergrad por portion. So we were double U of C because I went to the undergrad, Liz went to the grad school. And we were fortunate because we were able to tap, you know, Liz was able to tap some of those business school classmates that had the the capital to expend and help us to kind of launch this and that believed in it. So those early stages were nice because they saw her building it within UFC. Um, a, a definitely a different process. When I started helping to raise, that was a couple years down after we had launched the stores and got screwed over by an investor. That's a completely different story. Um, <laughs> that's when I really started getting into the fundraising aspect, but early on, I was more so focused on the experience within the stores and making sure our customer was was happy. So my experience with the fundraising was when we started getting to um, subsequent, after our first raise, our subsequent rounds of funding, which um, were very, very challenging. I would say they were, they were probably, and Liz would probably say this too, much more challenging um, because of what we had gone through initially. Okay, so as the process goes on, as you've kind of mentioned, like over time you raise money, you guys are obviously building new iterations, you've got pop-up shops, you've got all kinds of um, all kinds of things. So I guess over the course of, so this is like what, late 2012 that you're starting or after you graduate 2012. Um, mm -hmm. So between 2012 and 2017, when Mondays started feeling like Mondays, what was kind of like the progression over that whatever four or five year period of time in terms of, um, in terms of like, I guess if we're getting back to, you know, the purpose versus profit, like how, how did that kind of progress for you? Yeah, I would say the progression part of feeling the, the Mondays feeling like Mondays didn't, when I look back and I've been thinking, I've been over the last, you know, since I resigned and even prior to resigning, that was just at the end of 2017. But, um, thinking through when I really felt the most inspired and the most really empowered myself in the company. So I am a, such a builder. I love to build things. I love to solve problems. One of my good friends who was my co-founder in my first company in college, she always told me, she was like, you know, Alex, you are my friend I can go to for everything. Like if I need to cry it out, I can come to you. But she was like, when I really want to get some shit done, I'm coming to you. Like if I need the solution, I am coming to you. And so as we were building those first couple of years, even when we came into some challenges, um, I, I didn't love every process of it, especially when we'd had no money, but, um, it was really figuring out and putting your, your 
your minds together to understand how can we get out of this? What are, what solution? How can we be innovative enough to come to a next solution? And so as we started raising capital and growing a company and scaling, and a lot of companies go through this, and it's an important part of the process, is that you become very much so operational. Mm-hmm. Um, so where Monday started feeling like Mondays is as we started bringing on more institutional capital, bigger checks, bigger investors, um, you have to start developing more processes, which are very, very important. Um, but as you're developing those processes, it's going back to understanding your purpose and staying in touch with it was that I got so lost in just developing the processes and pursuing the profit of it. And because the processes were helping us to be profitable, Mm -hmm. it's how do you automate certain things? But I got lost in the sauce rather because I was just looking at the processes and not really aligning. Well, why are we going after this money? Why is this important to go after this money? What's important to me? Um, so I would say that progression really hit in 2016. That's when it really started to like hit when we got on more a, a good chunk of capital. Um, and it was like, oh, we have to do these certain things over here. So it was important to me. And what I didn't realize at the time that was very important was how do you ensure that what you started this for and why it's important to you and what the purpose is for you, make sure that you hold on to that for dear life because as you're pursuing profit, you need to understand why you're pursuing it. So a lot of the money you're bringing in and, and the, the direction of the company is focused on essentially operations, right? Um, mm-hmm. And optimizing processes. But that's not a bad thing, right? Especially for a no, company to ultimately grow, you want to not have janky processes. So Hell yeah. It's not like this happened. It's it's not like the the loss of purpose happened amidst like we're gonna buy a motorboat, you know, or like a speedboat yeah. or whatever, right? It was yeah. hey, we need to put money into making the business run more like a well run business. Yeah. So, what's like? I guess what are red flags to look out for then for that other entrepreneurs who are listening to this need to be mm-hmm. keeping an eye like on like red them. flags of when it when you're only putting profit. First, yeah, or yeah, when exactly. You're only right, putting right. purpose for like because the whole question is like how do you balance both? Yeah. So like what yep. are red flags of when like oh crap I'm only I'm only focusing on one and not enough on the other? Yeah, exactly. Because if you exactly. think about it, right, it's not like like an, a, like an obvious red flag is oh okay like you know we're hiring Satan <laughs> like something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but these this is not an obvious red flag. So I guess it's more of like what's the what's the magenta flag that's out there that that people need to be on on the lookout for yeah that's that's a great question so if you're imbalanced on either side so something I work with my clients on and why I start with the purpose part and then help them to pursue profit um, is that if you're imbalanced on either side you are not going to be as effective so if you're just pursuing let's go to purpose first if you're just pursuing purpose and your vision and you're not pursuing any form of revenue or profit um, you're, you're kind of just an idea. Like you're not really a company. A company to run needs money. It's <laughs> like you need to make money. Um, but if you shift over to just leading with profit, it's important as entrepreneurs, like why we started our companies is that at least the good ones, if you lead with, I'm just doing this company for, for money, those are the ones that are usually crash and burn. But when you lead with just profit, at some point, um, you're going to feel a sense of emptiness. 
because the reason you started your company, you had a purpose, you had a vision for it. And this is something like red flags to be aware of. And once I posted my resignation letter, it was really interesting because I explained that process. I explained how I felt lost and the amount of people, whether are people in corporate, whether other entrepreneurs, like I had one friend that raised like 40 million in his company and kind of went through a similar process as me is that when you get money for your company and people don't understand when you take on investor checks, it is a trade-off. It is definitely a trade-off and that they're there to help you optimize and grow your company and scale it because they have expertise, but also your vision and what you're doing it for is just as important. So balancing those two are important. So one red flag that I did not pick up on early on was that we had a lot of conversations on, okay, what would our investors want here or whatever? But it's just like, for me, when Mondays felt like Mondays, it was like, well, wait, I'm not doing this for investors. Like, yes, thank you for the check. That's great. But also this check, you're, it's a trade-off also on the other side. It's like, but this check is going to help you make money. It's an investment, right? Um, so a red flag that I should have picked up on that I did not do, excuse me, for myself was, leading with the question, well, what do our investors want? But I'm like, wait, what do I want? Like, what? why did I do this thing? So that was a red flag. And also, when you're having discussions with your team, I think it's very important. And I, I think that because we have visions and we know what our purpose is, that we think that it's always going to be top of mind. But when you are doing and doing and doing, sometimes you get stuck in it. So for example, before I resigned from ZipFit, I had talked to one of my investors because I was telling her, this is how I'm feeling. Like, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. And she's like, you know, Alex, she's like, you've been in it for so long that I feel like it's been hard for you to be on top of it. And it's true. And a lot of people and a lot of entrepreneurs were so stuck on hitting goals sometimes that we just get stuck in it. And we're not really to, able to, in those moments, to pull ourselves out of it and kind of be on top of it and look down and say, okay, here's all the shit. <laughs> like, I'm not just running to run. Like, I know where I'm going. I'm driving this car instead of just being a passenger in it. Um, so I think it's really important to, as a team and as you progress, even just if it's daily or if it's weekly, like uh, daily, ask yourself, like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this thing? Even as you take on capital, even as you're doing, because you can get so lost in the doing of things that you kind of forget what you're doing it for. So I, I like that you brought that up, the idea that you were asking yourselves, what do our investors want versus what do I want or what do we want? I would also even add to that too, asking what do our customers want, right? Because Exactly. It, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like you were losing sight of the thing you cared about the most at first, which was that amazing customer experience and mm. focusing more on, I mean, more or less like the investor experience. Yep. Oh, that's such a great point. And so, yeah, when I, when I say what I want, so, and this is, I mean, for my co-founders as well, like, you know, we love seeing the impact we made on, on our customers. And we would share that with our team even over time. But for me specifically, the purpose part is always about empowering. So what I get a kick out of is how, how are our customers feeling? So when you're asking those questions of, what, what's the investor experience or the, the profit part of it where you're looking at the spreadsheets? And I remember there was one day I was looking at spreadsheets and I'm like, I don't see my customer in here at all. Like <laughs> I, I don't, this, this number is not my customer. Like my, they're not transactions. They're not. And that's something where I didn't really pick up on that. And I got so in it. I got so deep in it. 
and pursuing a profit where I had even lost like that part of, wait, what, what, why does Alex do this? Why is this important? And understanding why those, those spreadsheets were empty to me is because I needed to be coupling that spreadsheet with why I was doing it. Yeah. I love that match. Mm -hmm. Make sure you have faces with your spreadsheets, not just exactly like your customers are not transactions. Like they have names, like shout out to one of my favorite customers, Elias. Like we can be on the phone on a Saturday. He can call me. He's like, Alex, like I need X, Y, and Z. And you know, I'm talking Examine your zipper, X, Y, Z. Yeah, exactly. Examine your zipper. Like he's, you know, telling me I need six colors here and six colors there. And then tell me about his, he's 70, he's in his seventies. And this man is just so full of life. He calls and he's goes between Peru. He's in a band. He has his house lady. Like, he's just like, you know, he's never been married. And he's like, I've never been married, but he's just, like, I just, I feel like I'm supposed to, more women are supposed to enjoy me. (laughs) And he means so well. And it's just having those conversations. And that's when I felt like I had the most joy, but I, I lost that. Like I knew when it was happening, but I wasn't specifically identifying those moments where it's like, Ooh, this is what I'm happiest. It's just like, I knew they were coming and going Mm -hmm. after 2016, but I was not being cognizant or intentional about understanding when those were happening and replicating that so I can make sure as we're pursuing profit that that purpose and that joy is the thing that's guiding me. Okay. So then sort of like the the end of the journey here is you decide very recently to make your resignation letter. You, You decide to resign from the company. You make your resignation letter public and now you've transitioned into entrepreneur coaching, specifically, as you've alluded to, around this idea of starting with purpose and then helping them build out the profit aspect. So can you just walk us through quickly the, like, what went into that decision to, like, you've talked about why you needed to resign, but but why did Mm -hmm. you make it public? And and was that a scary decision? And then how did you decide to transition into this next phase of your, of your own journey? Yeah, that was a journey in itself. (laughs) (laughs) So I was actually talking to a a friend about this the other day. Um, And when I resigned, um, I really went back and forth. Actually, my resignation letter was something I did in a day. And I really went back and forth um, between posting it or not, because it's a very, very raw, vulnerable moment where you have to say, I was lost. Like, I literally had to say I was lost. And as a founder, and, and, and I think it goes back, I'm not a parent, but even listening to my, my mom or my grandparents or the, the people in my life that are parents talk about what it's like to be a parent, um, where they say like, when you don't know something about your baby or when you can't help your baby or where you felt like you're out of touch with it, you, you feel lost. And so that's kind of, I, I was, I was out of touch with my baby because I had lost why I was doing it. And so, um, I posted it because I thought, you know, maybe I'm not the only person that has gone through this. And maybe if I am, you know what, at least it is, it is closure for me. And one of my, you know, one of my friends, Kevin, he told me, he was like, you know what, do it for yourself. He was the one that really motivated me to do it. So I did it and then I posted it and it was really serendipitous because I was looking for when I did it, I was looking for a picture. One of my friends ended up randomly sending one. She had no idea I was doing it. It all kind of came together. And when I posted it, I felt really good after. And 
when I got the responses, it wasn't to, it wasn't to necessarily evoke a response about it out of anyone or, you know, get praise or anything like that. It was literally for me. Um, and I'm like, if it helps someone in the process, great. If not, it helped me. But the amount of people that reached out to me, whether it was a friend who had just resigned from his company six months prior, um, who was just like, here's my story. We sat down in New York and I was like, oh shit, like this is a thing. Or, um, a friend who was actually a VP at a ad tech company who was like, I've been struggling this with, with this so much. Well, can we sit down and talk? And a few months later, she ended up resigning from her company. And when I looked at those responses and saw how hard it is for us to be vulnerable, because sometimes, especially in the era of social media, where we're all trying to be perfect and have picture perfect everything, the nice, the nice picture and the nice experience and share it is that we lo we lose what the human aspect of it is. And the human aspect of it is that we have raw moments and being able to showcase that to other people and be authentic, that's when we feel the most connected. And so when I saw how, how much people were going through it, I was like, okay, there's something here, but I didn't know what it was yet. So I was, you know, consulting with a couple companies. I had dabbled a little bit on the investment side and doing, helping a firm do due diligence. Um, and I was really fleshing out, you know, what is it that I really want to do now? How can I empower people at this point? And it wasn't until I, I was, um, I am a mentor at 1871. And so I would sit down with entrepreneurs and over the years I've been mentoring and coaching entrepreneurs informally for years because we grew zip it in such a way that we went through all of these phases and some people needed guidance through it, especially if they were limited in resources. So it's very secondhand nature to me to coach people through it because I love to share what I know and help people and or prevent them rather from making some of the mistakes I make. Cause I'm like, you know what? It works smarter, not harder. If I already went through this, you don't need to go through it. So figure this, we got to figure this out. How do you, can, how can you avoid that? Um, so the coaching aspect, not only was I good at it and I loved doing it, I was truly, truly joyful doing it. Like I could sit in a room and whiteboard it out with people where I hear them talk and I write down like, here's your purpose. Okay, let's let's go from there. What is, what is this over here? What are the hurdles? Where are you trying to go? And then we kind of map out, okay, at this point to this point, here, where are the hurdles here? How can we get you over that hurdle? And even if it's a 30 minute to an hour brainstorm session, I'm just like literally walking them through it. And afterwards, I just heard so many people like, this is the best thing I've had, like the most useful conversation I've had. And the amount of people like even after I've taught, sat down with them and coached them where they're applying those things on a daily basis and they're seeing the impact. And so at that point when I was like, I'm going to fucking coach because I noticed one, I was joyful and I feel like your inner guide should be your joy. If something is making you so joyful, that should be your guide um, in helping you realize what you should do. But also the empowerment piece. It was like my inner purpose is matching this outer purpose, the outer purpose of coaching entrepreneurs and helping them to balance that purpose and profit. So it wasn't instant, like it wasn't instantaneously I came up with, I'm in a coach. It was like, oh, like, a series of events and experiences and then coupling that with everything up until that point that I had gone through is like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. That's awesome. Yeah. 
So before we wrap up, um, can you let our listeners know uh, where they can find you now and and get in touch with you if they'd like to? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm super open to people emailing me. I, I, I try to volunteer time and giving back to entrepreneurs if they have questions or not. I might not get back to you immediately. I suck at email sometimes, but <laughs> it's alexbatdorf at gmail.com. Um, in terms of my social, Alex, Alex Batdorf is on LinkedIn. And then also um, on Instagram, it's the Batdorf. Um, and then next week, I'll be launching my website, um, which is alexbatdorf.com. And I will be um, revealing the series that I am launching with one of the former producers of Oprah Super Soul Sundays that is going to empower female entrepreneurs to get shit done. So yeah, that's where you guys can find me. Awesome. And actually, by the time this, this cool. episode comes out, the, the website, everyone listening right now to this episode, the website is <laughs> no. already live. It's up, guys. It's up. <laughs> and the live. series may be happening already. Well, right. The series is actually won't be till summer, but okay. be right. on the lookout. <laughs> <laughs> so to wrap up then, we will go one by one. Um, we'll start with Victoria, then me, then you, Alex, and we'll give okay. our answer, what we believe our answer is to today's question based on the discussion. So Victoria, our topic today, our topic question was how do you balance purpose and profit? Um, so I think like as we kind of called out throughout the discussion, it's obviously really important if you're going to be successful in your business to have both. Like you have to eventually have a profit to be able to continue with your purpose. Like if you have a purpose that you really want to um, to achieve, there's really no way to do that successfully without having a profit. However, I feel like in this discussion and sort of even thinking about what I've been, you know, working on over the last year with like my blog and Instagram and, um, and my yoga teaching and all of that is that it's, it is important, obviously in my mind that I turn it into something profitable and that I make money, but if I start to only focus too much on that, and I and I and I, this conversation's helped me kind of think about ooh those times when I am focusing too much on like oh is this you know like a, a sponsored poster you know what wh how am I trickling this stuff in if I don't make sure that I'm constantly coming back to that purpose of like why did I start my blog why am I teaching yoga like what is my Instagram account promoting um, if I don't keep coming back to that one. I, I think I probably will like lose some passion and some interest. And two, I think you end up losing like your customers or your followers or those that sort of like faithful community you have because they can feel that that passion or that purpose is no longer there and that like the content or the product or the service is only is like diluted, you know? So I yeah. think that it's so important that um, the, pro the profit – you have to have a um, a process and a and a goal and you know a way to get to profitability. But if you completely forget the purpose in that process, I think you end up losing out on profit because you end up probably losing customers. My answer: How do you balance purpose and profit? I I, I really think the the key point of this conversation for me was Alex when you talked about the the balancing of the wants. So mm -hmm. you got to a point where you were having conversations that were more focused around what do investors want versus what do I want? And, and the question of what do our customers want wasn't even on the table. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I really think it's a matter of once you, if you stop asking yourself, what do I want or what do my customers want? Then you've, you've lost sight. Mm -hmm. Alex, how do you balance purpose yeah. and profit? Yeah. Um, I would say and this really hit me. I spoke at PwC a, a couple months ago, and 
It's really interesting because someone asked me what keeps you up at night, and that is a question every fucking entrepreneur gets. Like it is like it is one of the main things people always ask. Um, and before, and you you constantly hear things that are like, oh, you know, you know, making payroll or getting orders out or things like that. And I used to say those things. I, I definitely did, but. When they asked me in that moment, because I had been on top of it and out of it, <laughs> um, I had time to really self-reflect. So I, I approached that differently. And I think what helped me to understand how do you balance it was um, being able to approach that question um, and say, well, actually, what keeps me up at night is asking myself, what am I doing this for? What is my purpose? And am I in touch with that purpose? And so that's something that I do on a regular basis, if it's through meditation or before I go to sleep at night, is I am always asking myself and what keeps me up and what I encourage other entrepreneurs to be kept up with at night versus, you know, picking, making payroll or getting orders out is asking yourself, are you in touch with your purpose? Because as you're going out and pursuing profit in your company for the day, you are at least a touch, you're in touch with why you're doing it. Um, so I would say that's that's how I balance and I encourage other people to um, keep themselves up at night with that question. Alex Batdorf, the cousin of Batman. Yes, <laughs> totally, totally. No, 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 Batdorf. Thank you for joining <laughs> us on the show. Thank you so much, guys. This has been great. That wrapped up our conversation. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help more people find the show. Therefore, more people get to discover their inner awesome. While you're leaving that review, go ahead and subscribe to the show on whatever platform it is you listen, whether that is iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the various other podcasting platforms in which you can find the show. For full show notes, references, and resources from this episode, you can grab it all at discoveryourinnerawesome.com. Also, check out our 100-plus episode archive while you're there. whole lot of awesome for you to dig into. That'll do it for this one. Thank you again to our guests for joining. For Victoria Cohen, I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today. Wake up!